Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Rene Vangus, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll take a look at China's growing debt that's crushing local governments. We'll also look at a new IPO that did quite well using a formula of a made-in-China drug with minimal China risk. We'll start with China's growing debt that's crushing local governments. Two new data points show just how bad things have become. One shows the country's debt-to-GDP ratio rose to a record 288% last year, 13.5 percentage points higher than in 2022, and a huge level by any measure. Another shows local governments in China paid a record 174 billion dollars in interest on their bonds for the year. Well, that number may not look huge for such a large country. We should note it excludes off-book borrowing that many believe could be much larger than official borrowing. So, the U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio stood at an all-time high in 2022, but even that was just 129 percent, or less than half of China's ratio. But Japan's maintained a much higher ratio of about 264 percent. So there's clearly quite a lot of variation among major economies. Still, China's ratio is higher than even Japan, which is one of the world's highest.、Uh, so, Renee, do you think this kind of debt level is is sustainable, or will something need to give eventually? If you go by what I would call economic orthodoxy, the answer. Basically, would be not likely to be sustainable.、Um, that being said, I mean this figure, like you know any other figure or comparable figure, is just a snapshot、um, at a very particular moment in time.、Um, the Chinese economy, no matter what, is still、uh, and quite likely for quite a while to come the second largest economy in the world, even if it is slowing down or has slowed down a bit in terms of growth.、Um, it still has a huge population, even if、uh, the population is aging, but.、Uh, It's still a huge population, second largest population in the world, with you know hundreds of millions of of、uh, young people and 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 working people.、Mm-hmm. So、um, it's a big number, obviously,、uh, but I think that、uh, China is、um, different from what Japan was、uh, way back then. I think it has a lot more economic resources. If you try and compare the two economies,、uh, although the Chinese economy depends a lot and increasingly on exports and so on, it has you know China has oil, it has gas. I think it just discovered substantial reserves in both recently. It has a lot of、um, you know minerals in the ground, especially rare earths and so on. So they're they're in a very different position. It can also, I mean, it has you know huge reserves,、uh, and it can also make decisions pretty quickly and pretty forcefully. Even though that does not, even if it doesn't seem to be the case right now,、mm-hmm. for whatever reasons. But um, look, um, I think that China has the ability to to handle this. 
it may be painful for a while, it may take quite a while, but I'm sure they can keep going and <laughs> they probably can add. You know, at, at, at the debt is actually substantially lower at the national level compared to the local levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the country itself still has the ability to borrow, you know, substantially. This being said, there's no no doubt about the fact that it's going to have to deal with uh, local government debts, provincial, municipal, and so on, mm. especially with, you know, the uh, off-book debts, which I'm not sure anybody really understands how, how much it is. Right, how bad. Um, but once again, the country... The country has tremendous resources, so hmm. I'm not expecting any, uh, you know, implosion or any situation like Japan, where we took, you know, 30 years to uh, start coming out of um, the difficult times. Well, so that, I mean, that was going to be my next question is, you know, we're talking similar debt levels, Japan. I mean, you've, you've quoted at least uh, so far, you know, your main reason for saying they're different from Japan is is mineral resources or, you know, uh, natural resources. But uh, it seems like a, a huge place where China's similar to Japan is just their consumers are just incredibly thrifty. They don't, you know, I mean, everybody talks about how China's been relying on investment, uh, exports, you know, everything except for domestic consumption, which is, you know, the big driver in, in most economies like the U.S. and Europe. You really don't think that uh, there, there's a few more parallels here? You know, China and Japan both grew really quickly for about 30, 30, 40 years, you know, from Japan from the end of World War II, China from the start of Reform Era in the early 1980s. You don't see any any parallels here? No, I mean, I, I, I do see. Uh, I do see them, obviously. The other parallel is the real estate market. Oh, exactly. Forgot about that one. Yeah, what happened in the, in both countries? But I just I just think that uh, you know if if the Chinese government uh, sets it, its mind on it, I just think that uh, they're in a much better position to handle this than uh, than uh, what Japan ended up going through. Hmm. I'm not saying it it would be pain free. I'm not saying that that uh, that there will not be maybe even additional economic slowdown. But overall, uh, you know, the, uh, the strength of the economy is still there. Uh, the size of the population is still there, even though it's aging. And and I just think that. Uh, you know the uh, political system. Uh, once it decides to uh, address something, clearly has the ability to do it fairly quickly. Quickly and decisively. It's all going to depend a lot on. It's all going to depend a lot on on politics and and how ideology plays a role and so on and whether concepts such as don't do anything in terms of stimulus that. It could get people to think that the state will always come to their rescue and they get lazy. You know, that's a good way to start when you want to teach a lesson to people. But at some point in time, the political implications become such that 
but something could be done. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think you're more uh, optimistic on this one than I am. But uh, we'll, again, we'll wait and see. Um, all right. Let's let's move on to the next topic, which uh, is we're going to take a look at a company we profiled at, at Bamboo Works called Aravent, which listed its shares in New York a few weeks ago. The company's an interesting mix of China and U.S. background. Its main product is a cutting-edge cancer treatment that was actually developed in China. And that product has already been approved in China and is earning quite a bit of money for its Chinese developer, which is a company called A-List. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, so anyhow, Aravent, the one that just listed in the U.S., has obtained global rights to commercialize the drug outside China. And it's getting pretty close to wrapping up clinical trials in the U.S. The company raised $150 million in its IPO, which is pretty big for Chinese IPOs these days. And the shares have actually done quite well since their trading debut last month. So, as I mentioned at the start, Aravent is really a sort of China play without most of the China risk, since its main asset was developed in China, but the company itself is doing all of its business outside of China. So, from an investor standpoint, how would you rate this kind of company compared with a more traditional China drug play that, you know, just sells to the China market? Well, um, it is a U.S. legal entity, for one, which uh, obviously uh, differentiates it from all the companies that uh, we usually cover here at Bamboo Works, which are Chinese legal entities with um, uh, American depository receipt structures right. uh, in the U.S., um, the uh, management is a mix of uh, Chinese people uh, who have worked in the pharmaceutical drug industry, biotechnology industry for decades in, in most of their cases, and, uh, and uh, American citizens hmm. who have done the same. So it, it really looks like uh, you know, in all aspects, including uh, the board of directors, it looks like a pretty global company. Their um, aim or their goal is to bring to the U.S. Um, drugs that they consider to be promising that are basically developed uh, globally. Uh, there does not seem to be an emphasis on China in particular. Um, they're looking at, at China, but also other emerging biotech hubs around the world. Um, it may just be that uh, because of who uh, some of their who their CEO, first of all, is that uh, it was easier for the first one to be a deal with with a um, company Chinese in China. Company, right. Chinese company, very clearly a company that is 100% Chinese. And, uh, you know, that's all I think that, uh, that we can tell at this stage. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, this is a Chinese drug. Yes, also, at least the company has made it uh, very clear that they are not only focused on drugs uh, coming from China, they are looking at drugs coming from anywhere possible, basically, mm -hmm. as long as these drugs fit their mission and can bring, uh, you know, value 
to um, U.S. consumers, patients, and so on. So, you know, um, I would leave it at that for now because it's difficult to have a clearer view at this stage. The company is still fairly new. Right, right. I think it was started in 2018. It just listed. So, you know, time will tell. Well, so the, my second question then is sort of moving back to the China risk, um, you know, because like you say, this is a global company. This This particular arrangement's sort of unique because Chinese drug companies traditionally bought China rights to foreign developed drugs rather than developing their own drugs. Historically. Yeah. So, but now we're seeing a growing number of similar foreign licensing deals for made in China drugs like this one. You know, are there, do you see any risks for companies like Airvent? You know, obviously there's always the risk that, you know, the drug won't get through trials, but I'm talking more in terms of uh, you know, things like IP disputes or that China may try to somehow, you know, insert itself or, you know, anything else, uh, you know, anything, any risks that investors might want to consider sort of for these made in China drugs, maybe that are being commercialized elsewhere? Uh, yes, 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 I guess. <laughs> um, the, uh, well, if, you know, if, a few comments here. First of all, um, this is not just a uh, China phenomenon. There have been in the past uh, distribution arrangements between uh, U.S. firms and Japanese firms, for instance, that, that I know of. And I'm sure that has been the case, you know, with, uh, with uh, companies in other countries as well, because uh, the U.S. market is obviously a huge market. If you're a rather small company in China, in Japan, or whatever, even of a certain size, uh, you know, you're not necessarily, you're very likely not going to have the expertise, the knowledge, the know-how, all of that to, you know, go to the U.S. market without having to spend a lot of money to, you know, hire experienced staff and put legal structures in place and all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's a judgment that I think, you know, lots of companies will do on their own. Uh, you know, is it cheaper? Is it faster? Does it get us there much faster for, you know, a market that is a huge scale? Those are, I think, commercial business management decisions that, that, I think makes sense for companies anywhere in the world, not just not just in China. Mm -hmm. Now, the uh, the other issue, obviously, then inevitably you go back to the you know, geopolitics and and those kinds of considerations, and everything is possible once you uh, once you start considering uh, geopolitical issues and and ideological issues and so on. Mm. When COVID hit. Uh, a lot of politicians in the U.S. were basically uh, complaining that uh, the U.S. was not getting enough of this and enough of that from China, which was manufacturing, I think, at the time, 80% of the uh, uh, supplies that were required to uh, protect people against COVID. So, you know, was it on purpose? Was it not on purpose and so on, you always have those conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, you always have decisions anywhere in the world that 
are sometimes made for political reasons as opposed to anything else. Mm-hmm. So, so you're just saying uh, nothing specific, but I guess there's just always the geopolitical risk that uh, China might try to insert itself into, you know, one of these licensing deals. If for whatever reason it uh, decided the U.S. was doing something it didn't like or... Who knows? But, you know, I would think that especially these days, there's a constant attention being paid, maybe not all over the world, but certainly in, in, the, in lots of countries in the West, as well as in China, on, uh, you know, how to secure the supply of, of critical goods, whether they are medicine or anything else. And and everybody is obviously aware that uh, there are always potential, you know, political implications to these things. Right. It 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 has become inevitable. I mean, even if there's nothing there today to lead people to believe that it could happen, you're always going to have, you know, people, politicians in particular, who will focus on that in part because their duty, <laughs> their responsibility to their people is is to you know, protect against those uh, those things. Their duty, I thought you were going to say, is to politicize everything. Uh, okay. Well, that, <laughs> that too, but that's a, that's a different story. All right, well, we won't go down that one for today. Uh, anyway, let's, let's wrap things up there. Um, thanks again, everyone, for listening this week. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us again next week for another edition of China Inc., when we'll look once more at the latest trending China business topics. Hope to see you all then. Thanks. Goodbye for now. Thank you all. Goodbye. Goodbye.